Well, it has been a, a good weekend to be together. We had a great turnout at our Easter egg hunt yesterday. We had about 250 people here. Uh, ended up moving inside because of the wind, and so that was a, a little different. But uh, we, ha- we had a great time, uh, so we didn't want the jump houses blowing away with the kids in them. So we decided to move that into the gym, but we're grateful to have the space to be able to do that. Uh, thank you to all the volunteers who worked so hard. Um, I'm pretty sure most of our people showed up and worked their tails off. And it was a great way to uh, serve the community, serve our neighbors. It was a blessing. And then we started early this morning at 7.30 uh, for a sunrise service. We had about 50 people at the park this morning at 7.30, uh, freezing on those metal chairs that had been sitting outside all night long. It was great. Uh, But we had a great celebration out there, a great opportunity to see the sunrise over the mountains and and celebrate the risen Savior. And then, of course, breakfast at 8.30 was awesome. That crew did a great job. Thank you, Kathy and her crew, for doing that. It's been a good day to be together, and, and of course now we spend some time in worship with a great praise team leading our worship, and now some time in the Word focusing in on Jesus and, and the resurrection of Jesus. It is one of my favorite times of year to be able to celebrate Him and His uh, coming back to life from death, which is such a strange, strange thing. Well, uh, I have to admit, and it's probably not a surprise to many of you, that I was a bit of a nerd growing up. Um, I'm not making any claims to my current status, but uh, definitely as a kid uh, was, was a nerd. And as any good nerd would do, I was a fan of Star Trek. And uh, Star Trek was, was, I wasn't like one of those like costume-wearing, convention-going fans, uh, but I, I was a fan. And... I got to, to, to watch these great episodes where the opening scene was this starship enterprise going at warp speed from, from planet to planet, and this voiceover comes on space, the final frontier. Uh, these are the voyages of the starship enterprise. I've got people reading with me. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations to boldly go where no one has gone before. So we know who the fans are. Do you have a costume? Yes, okay, all right. But what an incredible mission, right? To, to go into new worlds and seek out new life and, and, and to go where no one has gone before. It is this incredibly compelling mission. And it's one that fascinates us and, and, and draws us into the world of science fiction where, where we look up at the stars and, and wonder what's out there. What life might be out there somewhere. And it's not just a matter of science fiction, it's also a matter of, of real science where, where NASA is sending out these, these satellites. Uh, the, the Kepler Space Telescope is, is their most recent one that they send out there to take pictures of these far-off planets. And these, these satellites, it just mo- blows my mind to think about, these satellites are taking pictures of, of planets that are 500 light years away, trillions and trillions of miles away, we're getting pictures of these planets. And they're trying to find a planet that might be inhabitable, something that is equivalent to Earth and what Earth can have. And, and they think they might have found one. It's named planet, uh, the planet's name is Kepler 186F. 
They have real creative naming of, of their, their planets. And this is one that's similar size to Earth. It's got a, a star that it, it, it rotates around about the same distance as Earth. And so it might be something that could be inhabitable. It is solid rock, though, and so um, that may not work. But... Chances are slim that there might be some sort of life on this planet, but, but we're looking for a planet that has some sort of life to it. We keep on looking for life, and we're looking out there for it. In Luke chapter 24, we, we read this account of Easter Sunday, where the women are headed to the tomb, and unlike NASA, they are not looking for life. There is absolutely no expectation that they would be going to this tomb to find life. They are expecting to go to this tomb to find death. They take with them these, these perfumes and spices, knowing that what they are going to encounter in this tomb is going to start to be stinky. That, that, that they are going and encountering death. And this is something that they, they have experienced before. This is something that they have seen before. This is nothing out of the ordinary for them to, to be going to this tomb to encounter death. But they're going in to, to go see the body of Jesus. And they're, they're coming to the tomb ready to anoint the body of one that they had hoped so dearly would be the one that would save them. They, they are coming to this tomb to anoint the one that they hoped would bring them new life, one that would usher in a kingdom of God and a whole new world, and, and a world that was not something far off, but something that was there for them. And this, this one that they're going to anoint, this, this dead body, is, is the Jesus that they had hoped would be that guy. He had talked with great authority of great things, but that life was cut short. And Jesus is, is crucified on a cross by the Romans. And, and he talked about great things and spoke with such great authority, but now he's dead. And so they get to the tomb, and, and they take to the tomb with them their, their disappointments and their brokenness and their hurt as, as they come there knowing that the Jesus that they had hoped so much for is now dead. But when they get to the tomb, something is different. They get to the tomb, and the stone has been rolled away. Things are not as they should be. And they get to the tomb, and, and now they, they come in, and the tomb is empty. The body of Jesus is gone. And so they had come expecting to encounter death, and now there is an emptiness, and they're unsure of what is going on. But then, two men dressed in dazzling white clothes appear to them. And this must have been quite shocking, because they fall to their face in fear and trembling. They fall on their face not knowing who these men are. And the men say this to them, "'Why do you look for the living among the dead?' He is not here. He is risen. You're looking for somebody among the dead, and he's not here. He's very much alive. You're looking in the wrong place. You came expecting to encounter death. You came thinking that you knew that, that what you would experience in this tomb was death, but what you come and find is life. They discover life. 
And it's a promise that is real and abundance. It's an eternal life the world has been looking for. And so why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do we seek to find the living among the dead? We're looking in the wrong place for life. And so the empty tomb changes everything. It's a sign of life. And it's a life that we cannot even imagine. A life so great. Something new has broken into the world. So when Jesus rose from the dead, something new is happening. He signals the beginning of a new creation. He signals the beginning of a new world. It signaled the defeat of death itself. The kingdom of God is not some distant world that we have to look at through telescopes, but it's the reality of what is happening when earth and heaven come together, they collide, and, and both are renewed. And so this morning we look at the empty tomb. We celebrate an empty tomb, not looking for life there, but we see instead of a dead body, we see Jesus, no longer dead, very much alive. And it's this reality that means everything to us as his followers. And so today we celebrate that. It's not just a casual remembrance. This is a big deal. This is everything for us. This is the hope that we have. Life is found in the resurrection of Jesus. And so the timing is, is good for us because we are in the middle of a series, or actually toward the tail end of a series, called The Core, where each week we have been talking about these, these core beliefs, that if we will implant these core beliefs into our hearts, and it, it will transform us to be more and more like Jesus. That if we want to act like Jesus, if we want to behave like Jesus, if we want to be like Jesus, then we have to believe the things that Jesus believes. And those core beliefs will transform how we act in this world. And so we've been going through, we've gone through nine of these core beliefs, and we get to today where we're going to talk about our tenth and final core belief as we look at eternity Easter is a great time for us to think about what it is we believe because this resurrection thing, this is the hinge that everything else is attached to. Do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And so I want to take a moment to, to review where we've been with these 10 core beliefs. Some of you are visiting or you've been in and out and so you've missed some of them. And so I want to go through these very quickly. Each one of these is centered around a question. We ask a question and then we work to answer that question. The first question we start with is, who is God? A fundamental question, who is God? And the answer to who is God, the belief is, I believe the God of the Bible is the only true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we identify who God is, and then we have to ask the question, is God good? He doesn't have to be. This is, is he a good God? And we say, I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. He cares about me. He cares about my life. And because he's involved in my life, we ask the question of, how do I have a relationship with him? How do we have a relationship with God? We believe that a person comes into a right relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And when we have a relationship with God, we have to get to the question of, how can I know God's will for my life? And we know God's will because we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God that guides my beliefs and actions. And so we know who God is and we know what God wants for us. Then we have to ask the question, who am I? What is my identity? How do I fit into the picture of who I am in relationship to God? We believe that we are significant because of our position as a child of God. Such a profound statement. If you really believe that, that will transform your life in such incredible ways. That we are significant because we're children of God. And if we are children of God, that means God has a plan for us. How will God accomplish his plan? We believe the church is God's primary way to accomplish his purposes on earth. He has formed the church. He has given us the church as a way to to fulfill his mission and his purpose for us. And so then we ask the question, how does God see us? We believe all people are loved by God and need Jesus Christ as their Savior. And then we look at the world around us and we get to the question of, of what about the poor and injustice? And we believe God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. And so that's good for us as a church, but what does that mean for us as individuals? What has God called me to do? What is his calling on my life? And we believe everything I am and everything I own belong to God. And so these core beliefs shape who we are and what we're becoming. And so, of course, getting to a place of intellectual understanding on each of these is one thing, but getting to a place where it's in our hearts, that's the real challenge, right? Where it really impacts the way we behave because it's at the core of who we are. And so this week we get to our final question, that if, if God is good and he has this plan and, and he, he has called us to participate in this plan, that's all good. But what happens next? What happens next? We are all in the process of dying, and we're all getting a day closer to death. And so what happens next? If we're able to take those first nine beliefs and, and really live those out and really embed them in our hearts, it would drastically transform the way our lives are going. It would drastically transform the way we live, and it would make an incredible difference to the community around us and the people around us if we would live these things out. But there's something more. There's something huge. What about life after death? What about eternity? God, the good and loving God we read about in Genesis and, and all through the story of the Bible, created something very special at the beginning. And he wants to restore that orig original vision for us. He wants to restore that. And so for followers of Jesus, not only can we have an abundant life today, we can also have an abundant life in the future. We can anticipate what's in store for us. We can have hope for the future. We can, we can look to what is coming, and, and we can look forward to being reunited with God. And so this question is particularly timely as we, we sit here at Easter. As we think about the resurrection, we think about Jesus and, and life after death. We reflect on his resurrection. We look forward to our resurrection. And what does that mean 
And so for us to understand what happens next, for us to be able to answer that question, we, we really have to understand the resurrection of Jesus first. It's a prerequisite for us to understand our resurrection. Jesus tells his disciples in his farewell address in, in, in John chapter 14, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And so our relationship with God is completely transformed because of Jesus. He's going to prepare a place for us. He comes back for us. He brings us into a relationship with God. What does that mean? What does that look like? Thinking about what's next brings up all these questions of, of eternity in heaven. And, and as a culture, we've really lost an accurate image of what heaven means, what heaven looks like. We have this image of, of sitting on a cloud playing a harp. How fun is that? How many of you are a harp player? Does anybody play harp? No. So the rest of us are just out of luck. So, so hopefully, hopefully there will be a tutorial going into heaven on how to play a harp as we sit on those clouds for all eternity, forever and ever, playing the harp. Does not sound like much fun, okay? So I, th I think we have, we've got this misconception of what heaven is and what eternity is. And so we're going to explore that a little bit more next week. And then we're going to explore that a lot more. Patrick's going to walk us through a four-week series in August looking at heaven even, even more thoroughly. And so, so what is heaven? There's a big question there. So we're going to explore more of that later. But, but right now, what is it that Jesus does for us in the resurrection? We think about what's next, and that is an important question. And so we need a biblically accurate view of what heaven looks like. I've heard it said, you, what you hope for in the future determines what you live for today. What you hope for in the future determines what you live for today. And so, so it's important that we know what it is that we're hoping for. If we hope for great wealth, that is going to determine how we live our life today. If we hope for great influence or great fame, or notoriety, then that will impact the way we live our life today. If we hope to just die and be done, that will in impact the way we live our life today. If we have hope in the resurrection of Jesus, that should impact the way we live our life today. And so what do we believe about the resurrection of Jesus? Where does your hope rest? Our hope is in Jesus. And that Jesus is very much alive today. We can read through the Bible and we read through the stories of Easter and, and we get this picture of who Jesus is. We, we, we think of Jesus in the Bible and we point to him and say, yes, I follow him. I follow, follow the Jesus of the Bible but what happens when we do that is we, we focus in on a historical Jesus, a, a Jesus who is only in the past. It's like saying, I believe in George Washington. How many of you believe in George Washington? 
Yes, you're not raising your hand, you didn't go to history class or something. Yes, we, we, believe, we believe that George Washington existed, we believe that he did certain things, he lived in a certain time, in a certain place, he had a certain impact on our culture, a certain impact on our politics. We believe in George Washington, but George Washington is dead, and he is still dead today. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's still dead. And so you can say you believe in someone in the past, but what difference does that really make today? Does, does, does me knowing who George Washington is and my belief in George Washington really impact my life today in this moment? Sure, there's ripple effects, but really I could care less about who he was in this moment. But Jesus... Jesus is not just a historical figure. He's not someone that we just read about in the Bible. We don't believe in Jesus of the past. We believe in Jesus of today. We believe in a Jesus who is alive today. As followers of Jesus, we're not following someone who is dead. We're not following someone from the past. We're not following something that is old and dusty from a book. Our faith is a response to the living God who declares his power and promise through the resurrection of Jesus. And that's who we follow. Jesus is not just a figure of the past. He is a figure of the present. And very much a figure of the presence of God. Think of a couple who has, has grown old together in a relationship over, over time. And they have a certain memory of their past. And that memory of their past together impacts how they experience their relationship in the present. There's memories of a first date or, or the wedding vows or the birth of a child. All those things are important in shaping what your current relationship is. But they're not as important as the love that is had in the present now. That you can define the relationship from the past, but what's more important than the past are the issues of who the two are together now. And so our relationship with Jesus is more about Jesus being alive now. The power of the resurrection is that Jesus is alive now, and he and the Father and the Spirit are at work to restore creation, bringing a new heaven and a new earth to us. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul, Paul tells us that the resurrection of Jesus is the, the first fruits, and we can think of first fruits as, as a prototype, that, that Jesus' resurrection is a prototype for our resurrection. It is, it is a model. It is something to look to as an example for, for what will happen for us. We will be renewed people in a renewed heaven and earth where God dwells with us and makes us whole again. And so we don't look out there like NASA for life. Life is, is coming here, and it's even available for us right now. The one who was dead is now alive because he lives, we can live too. And so those who follow the living Christ are, are always seeing life where others see death. The world is not cold, it's not lifeless, but it's a world with hope, a world with a future. 
And so that hope impacts how we live today. We, we live and we work in the present with the future in mind. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing, nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because, because the things that are done here will have an eternal impact. Jesus rose from the dead, and he, he revealed life for us. And that is the best news we have ever received. Better than any news of some planet from NASA. Better than any other news, Jesus rose from the dead. He was very much dead and is very much alive today. And so as NASA still looks for life, as NASA still tries to find something trillions of miles away, God has brought a new world to our doorsteps. He comes in and the, and the, with the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so we ask the question, what happens next? And we see Jesus as the example of what happens. That he is buried and he rises from the dead and is fully alive. And that is where our hope lies. And so our tenth and final core belief that we will continue to explore next week is this. I believe there is a heaven and a hell and that Jesus will return to judge all people and to establish his eternal kingdom. There is a heaven and a hell. And because Jesus is no longer dead, Jesus is very much alive, he's going to come back. And judgment will happen. And we will have eternal life in the kingdom of God. And so there's a lot to that statement, more than we can unpack this morning. We'll look to it more next week. But for now, we focus on the resurrection of Jesus that makes all these things possible. Death is defeated. Death no longer has a hold of us. Jesus is alive. He's no longer here. He is risen. Amen? Let's be standing together.